our third week in our reform series, and we started off with sola scriptura, that, that by the word of God alone, do, and the word of God alone is the basis for our faith. It's the final word. And so we, we shared a little bit about that. And then last week, Pastor Eric taught about sola fide, the, the, by faith alone are we saved, and that, and that we, the, 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 the just or the righteous will walk in faith, day by day, walking in faith. And that brings us to what some call the linchpin of the Reformation, but it's certainly a, 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 a key of, of these solas, the third sola, sola gratia, by grace alone. And we come this morning to, to learn and to study, and I invite you to do that as we turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. As we read together, those Bibles in the pew are there for you to use, and also it'll be up on the screen. We're going to be reading the first eight verses, the first eight verses of Romans chapter 5. Let's read together. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, speak um, your words to us this morning, through your servant. And Lord, may we ourselves leave this morning transformed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Words. Words or phrases can be incredibly important. And sometimes they can be misconstrued even when we're using the very same word. I may use a word, and you hear that word, but you have a different meaning to that. And so you, you take it differently, and, and that's so important as we try to communicate. And you understand that sometimes as Southerners try to communicate with Northerners. Have you been on the end of that? And saying, well, I, I, we're, not, we're not connecting here. I think we're speaking the same language, but I'm not sure. Or sometimes those that are on the East Coast have our, have our words, and, and, we, and, and we say them, and, and those maybe on the West Coast hear the same words and have a different meaning for them. Uh, and and even, in, even in an area like Cleveland, but you're in different cultures, different culture groups have, use a word and may have a different meaning for that word. But I got word, I got news for you, it can even happen in your household. In your household. Uh, Sheila and I found, have found this to be the case over 38 years of marriage almost. In fact, we've known each other for over 41 years. But we still at times, that communication problems come when, when what I say is not 
the way she thinks that word means or that phrase or, or what, what she says I, I think of as differently. And one of those phrases that have, has been a challenge for us to overcome is the word or the phrase in a little bit. Yeah, in a little bit. And really, this started pretty early in our marriage, and it was something that, that really was a challenge for us because Sheila, especially during tax season, as I would, in my tax practice in February, March, or April, and working very long hours, and, and Sheila would call up in maybe early evening and, and say, do you have any idea when you're going to be home? <laughs> sure, in a little bit. Now, she didn't realize in a little bit meant go ahead and put the kids to bed and leave the light on <laughs> when I come home. You know, she thought a little bit should mean, you know, in a half hour or 45 minutes, I'm going to be wheeling in. Also, it went that way when she'd say, uh, what are you doing tonight? And I would say, I've got a little bit of work I brought bringing home. Yeah. She didn't realize that meant when supper was over, I was going to go to my office and see in bed <laughs> type thing. Just didn't understand that until we, we have the same language, the same words, but we're not connecting. And so she's starting to think, I know what he means when he says a little bit. Well, then she asked me, how much broccoli do I want? I said, a little bit. And what I meant by little bit was about this. To me, that's a little bit of broccoli, and that's exactly what I want, you know, a little bit. Didn't quite understand that. Then she said, well, do you want, how much ice cream do you want? A little bit. That means give me the carton and the scoop, and if the carton, and I'll eat it till it's gone or till I'm full. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit of ice cream. So we have these words that go back and forth, and we, we got to make sure we understand them. And, and, you know, as we think of the Reformation, that's kind of, some of that builds in here because we use words, and words that maybe we say, yes, we agree with, or yes, everybody agrees that, believes that, but then you start to look back, what do you really mean by these words? Today, one of those words is Grace. It's grace. How do, you, how do you think of grace? And how did they think of grace 500 years ago? And how did they think of grace before the Reformation? And how do different cultures and different, different belief systems or even, even different traditions within Christianity think of grace? And this morning, we're, we're going to look at that for just a little bit because grace can have a lot of meanings. Uh, we see grace and we, we recognize grace, don't we? We see someone and we say, wow, they're graceful. Wow, they're graceful. A, a, a beautiful dancer. Not, not this stuff, you know. <laughs> you know we saw that. <laughs> that, that's, that's not graceful. <laughs> that's, that's energetic, but it's not graceful. I remember years ago, you know, watching, watching um, figure skaters. And figure skaters can be powerful. I mean, they can go and they can do three and four and five twists, be really powerful. But then there are those that are graceful, just beautiful. I remember watching Peggy Fleming and the Olympics and saying, wow, that, she is graceful. And we, we recognize grace. In fact, so we recognize grace, but we also say grace, don't we? We say grace before a meal. It's, it's we're grateful for everything that God's done for us. We're grateful for the, for the provisions that he's given to us. So we, we return grace there at that point in time. And also then, um, we, we also hear grace and, and graciousness extend to us. Or we extend graciousness to another. Words of grace, kind words, lovely words, passionate, compassionate words, words of grace. 
as I was thinking about this in relation to the scriptures, in relationship to the Reformation, thinking of grace, it caught me a little bit by surprise. I probably have heard this before, but I don't know that I realized it. That in the Gospels, all the recorded words of Jesus, he never said grace one time. He never used the word grace. And if you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you just don't see it. I did a word search in, in different versions and never saw grace by Jesus. It was only talked about Jesus in that way. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, and when talking about his birth, uh, it says in Luke chapter 2 that the child grew and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God. And then in John chapter 1, where we talk about the, the, the word becoming flesh and the word dwelling amongst us, it says this, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And it says, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. So we got to understand, what's this word that Jesus never used, but we talk about him all the time? In fact, if you go on in the book of Acts, grace is spoken over 11 times mentioned. In, the Paul's right, in the writings of Paul, you see grace mentioned almost 80 times. 80 times in just the, the, the few epistles and letters we have from Paul. And so it's, it's this doctrine that's incredibly important that Jesus never spoke of, but is Christ came, in, came in, 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 in grace and is full of grace. So what's it mean? Well, if you've been around a while, maybe, maybe you know this definition of grace. It's this, the free and unmerited favor of God. The free and unmerited favor of God. I think most of us understand free, don't we? I probably don't need to explain to you what free is. You understand free. But I think there's a, there's a negative connotation that comes with free a lot of times. If it's free, it's got to be cheap. If it's free, it can't be worth much. If it's free, um, it's probably because they want to get rid of it and pawn it off on me, right? We typically don't like free. In fact, we say things like there's no free lunch because we know really it's not free. There's something behind it that's going to cost. I can tell you there is a free lunch, and there's a free dinner also. A few weeks ago, I was heading across Route 70 from Columbus to, to heading towards Indianapolis, and we stopped by the way for dinner. And I pulled in, and we pulled in the group I was with, and we only had a little bit of time, so we, a little bit, yeah, a little bit of time. So, so we go in there, and we're in the restaurant, and, and we order our food, and, and the food comes, and, and we're eating, and the waitress comes around, and she basically says, you know, uh, is, is, there any, is, are, is everything okay with your food? Do you have any problems with your food? I said, a little bit. <laughs> Actually, she asked it like, you know, is, is everything okay? And I, 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 I hate to do that. I, I normally don't do this, but I went, <laughs> and I just stuck my meat in my, the fork in my meat and held it up to her. And I says, I don't think it's quite medium rare. This thing was, this thing was so burnt. <laughs> it, was, it was black all the way through. It tasted, it looked like the sole of your shoe, and it tasted like the sole of your shoe. By far the worst steak I ever had. She apologizes. Can I get you on? No, we're in a hurry. We got to get moving. That's fine. Just give me more steak sauce to cover it up, you know. And so, then, so we did that. And, and uh, finally, the manager comes around. He apologized. And, and then they brought the bill along. And it said, zero, zero, zero for my steak and my meal. It says, there's a free lunch. <laughs> there is a free lunch. We understand free. We understand free. 
But the other thing it says here is free and it's unmerited. Unmerited is I did nothing to earn it. It's undeserved. So God's grace is free and it's undeserved. But what is it? Well, it's his favor. I read where one, a good, maybe the best definition of favor is a demonstrated delight. Or how about this, approval. God's approval, his delight is in us. And it's free and it's unmerited. Another, maybe easier to remember definition that I grew up with, maybe some of you did, is this acronym, it says this, the grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. This free gift is valuable. It's God's riches. And it starts to unpack for us where this grace is coming from. What's the source of this grace? What exactly is grace? What's the nature of this grace? And so let's look again back real quick at that first verse we read this morning in chapter 5. Verse 1 says this about the grace especially. It says, therefore, since you've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through whom our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Paul was saying that by the faith that Pastor Eric talked about last week, we have access to this grace field or ocean of grace that we stand in the midst of. You know, this morning I stand up here and this, this podium is, is filled with light. And, and it's, it's like this is God's grace. It just fills, it fills the area. It's like an ocean of grace. And he says, we can stand and step right in the middle of God's grace. And he starts to unpack here how it is that we are saved and how about salvation comes to those of us who don't deserve it, unmerited. But it's interesting because salvation, we would say, is just what we were talking about. It's free, it's unmerited, it's undeserved. Salvation. And even before the Reformation, Luther would have said the same thing. In fact, if you were to walk into Luther's classes where he was teaching Bible, the University of Wittenberg there in Germany, he would have said, to be saved, it's a free gift. He would have said, to be saved, it's unmerited. And he would have said, to be saved, it's undeserved. And he would have said, to be saved, it's through Christ. Just the things that we would say, and we would say, okay, it seems to me we're saying the same thing, aren't we? But he wasn't saying the quite the same thing. But he would say this, words that he would say, salvation is not on the basis of our merits, but on the pure promise of a merciful God. Salvation is by grace, not merit, from the pure mercy of God. So what's the difference? This, this is where the, the little differences in meaning can mean a lot. Luther would say, the church would say at the time, salvation is a free gift. Salvation is through Christ. Salvation is unmerited. But grace wasn't. Grace wasn't free. In fact, Luther would say this 
God will not deny grace to those who do their best. To those who do their best. Think of it this way. And I, I, I like this example that I read this week. It says, think of it as we are just, we're just kind of lazy Christians. This was the view they would have. We're kind of lazy Christians. We, we know we got to do works, good, good works. We want to do good works, but well, we just can't do enough. And so God sends his grace to those who are trying hard, to those who are trying, and gives us a little boost. In fact, they compared it to getting a can of Red Bull energy drink. I don't know if anybody drinks. I do, I've never tasted it. I, I have enough caffeine in me and, and things like that without this. I don't need it. But, um, but, but they, they compare it to this energy drink. Says, you know, it's, it's, it's that extra bit that we need to get to the goal. And so those who have done well, those who have tried hard enough, God gives grace, but only to those who try hard enough. And so he gives this extra so that I, I'm trying hard, I'm trying hard, and God says, okay, you deserve grace. I get my grace, I drink it. Now I can leap tall buildings with a single bound. I'm faster than a speeding bullet, and I'm more powerful than a locomotive. And, I could, and now I can, now God saved me. He saved me with grace. He saved me with grace. Uh, and salvation was unmerited because it was his grace that did it. But I only got the grace if I earned it. And that was the trap he was in, trying to earn the grace of God. And that grace plus the works would equal salvation. And so Luther worked hard. And one way he could work hard and one way he could be assured was by being a monk. And he had this to say about his life as a monk a number of years later. He said, it's true. I was a good monk and kept my order so strictly that if, I, if ever a monk could get to heaven through monastic discipline, I should have entered in. All of my companions in the monastery who knew me would bear me out on this. For if I had gone on much longer, I would have martyred myself to death <laughs> with what vigils and prayers and readings and other works. Can you imagine that? He's saying, I'm, I'm a good monk. Yeah, I, 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 See, on TV, we used to have the show The Good Wife, Now the Good Doctor. We got to have one, The Good Monk, you know? <laughs> the Good Monk. I'm a good monk. I do everything. In fact, not only would I tell you that, all my buddies here in the, in the monk house would tell you that. <laughs> so they would tell you that. He said, they're all going to say that. They're all going to tell you I, I, I earned it. In fact, I was so dedicated. I about killed myself. I would have killed myself. I'd have been a martyr in my own hands to, to reach that goal where I was good enough so that God's grace would come down and then offer me salvation. And so he, he said, I'm a martyr in my own hands. And sure, yeah, enough. He had meager meals. He had, we wore coarse clothing. He, he worked hard every day. And then he'd go out and beg. And, and later in the day, he would do vigils at night. He would fast. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. See, according to the teachings of the church at that time, it, it really was not just grace, but grace plus Grace plus. Or actually, the plus would almost more go on the other side. It's the works we do plus the grace, plus, the, plus that extra push we need to get into heaven. 
And so Luther was caught in this, and the reformers that were, that were teaching this, they were, they, were, they were saying, no, as we look at scriptures, and, and Pastor Eric last, last week told us that the, the just or the righteous uh, live by faith. It's not the works. It's not earned. It's a free gift. It's unmerited, not just salvation, but God's grace is free. And so they said, it's not grace plus. It's grace alone. And so we have sola gratia. Sola gratia, grace alone. That is how we are saved. Even Webster, when I looked in the dictionary and saw his definition of grace, it says this, unmerited divine assistance given humans for their regeneration or sanctifications. Even Webster thinks it's just an assistance. It's not assistance. It's, it's, it's the way. It's, it's, this, it's this ocean of grace that we live in that God says, enter it, and I provide it to you. So let's go back again and look at that first, first verses of Romans chapter 5. And let's look at that with this sense of, of God's grace being something that he provides to us so that we could have salvation. And he says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You know, I've always been taught, we've mentioned it before, when you see the word therefore, you should stop and ask what it's there for. And when you look here, this chapter starts with therefore. Well, why is therefore there? Well, it's there because Paul is building up this doctrine. And we've talked about the Reformation being a, being a Reformation of theology, of making sure we understand. And this is important. It's important that we understand. In fact, I, I say this as we, as we think about the Reformation, as we think about theology. It's important to know what we believe. It's important to know the, the big picture, the big idea. But then it's important to know what's the implications of that big idea. And then how do we take those and apply it to our own lives? And what does it mean for us? And so, and so we're looking at this and we're saying, what's the implications? And Paul says there's this big idea out there. And this big idea he lays out in those first three and four chapters of Romans. And he said, you can sum it up in verse 323 of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He starts off in, in, in Romans chapter 1 by saying, boy, the, you, you Gentiles, you're you're sinners. <laughs> You're sinners. And he starts to lay out those sins, and it's ugly, ugly sins. And then he turns to the Jews, and he says, believe it or not, so are you. And he says, in fact, all Romans chapter 4, just before this, he said, even Abraham, your father, he wasn't saved by his works. No, it was the faith that he received through grace that, that, that he received salvation it was, it, was, it was a deposit that he put down when he, when he was living. He had, by faith, he walked with God. And he says he was saved in that manner. So therefore, 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 because you have no hope, because you're all sinners, therefore, it's going to take something else. It's going to take an act from God. It's going to take something outside of ourselves. He says we have been justified. Pastor Eric talked about that last week through faith. We have peace with God. Did you know you were at war with God? Well, when we're sinners, when, we're, when, we, are, when we are rebelling against him, yes. And, and he says, but here, here is peace with God. And then we've gained access to the faith. And that gained access actually means 
we're introduced. We are introduced. Here's Steve, introduced to the king, to the God who created us, who loved us, who cared for us. And we stand in the grace. You know, I, I said last week, Pastor Eric um, mentioned justification, and, and we were going back and forth. This faith and grace, they're, they're, they're so, it's hard. You can't talk about one without the other, it seems like. I, I said one time that I thought they were two sides to the same coin, but I kind of got to thinking about it this week as companions. Faith and grace are companions. And, 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 and through our faith, walking in faith and, and being, being um, just absorbed in God's grace, we end up in this position of being justified, or as Pastor Eric said, this legal standing before God. And justification, uh, just a real quick definition, is a declaration that we have a right, positive standing before God. We've been placed before God and he looks at us and he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see what we've done. He sees his child who's been forgiven. We are in a right standing with God. We're declared innocent. And we have that understanding. And, and it's, it's critical to, to understand that because, I, you know, Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, rolls off my tongue pretty quickly. Uh, I've known that for years. It's been a, it's been a passion that, that we've sinned and we've got to know we've sinned. But I almost sometimes forget to go under... Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24 says this, all are justified freely. Just as all are sinned, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us we have been set right before God by his grace. And then he's finally starting to get to the main point, to the key issue here is, how is this all possible? How is this, how can, how can me, how can I, how can you be standing before a holy God and declared innocent? Through the redemption that came through Christ. In our scripture this morning in chapter 5, verse 6, he says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, the righteousness that was needed couldn't be provided by me or you or anybody. It didn't matter how many good works and how much Red Bull we drink. We can't be good enough. And so he says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He said it's, it's, it's by grace that we've been saved. And that grace was given freely, not earned. It's given freely, and it's a gift. It's a gift to you and me. Eric was telling you last week how this view of God is of, of, a, of a judge, of not, we can't do enough to earn his salvation, made Luther actually hate God. But in the end, Luther 
could love a holy God who judges our sin because that same God lovingly sent his son to atone for our sin. He could, he could love the God, the Father, who would judge sin because he sent Christ to atone for our sin. Luther moved from hating God who judged him to the loving God who redeemed him. That's what grace is all about. It's moving from our hating of God and saying, God, I can't live up, I cannot be there, to saying, God, your grace has said, yes, you'll never be good enough. Come, come to me, trust in me, accept this free gift. That's grace. That's grace. Charles Spurgeon, famous English preacher about 300 years later, said this, if any man be saved, he is saved by divine grace and divine grace alone. A reason of his salvation is not to be found in him, but in God. We are not saved as the result of anything that we do or that we will do, but we will and do as a result of God's good pleasure and the work of his grace in our hearts. There's this big idea of grace. And that big idea is that God, who is a judge, but also a father, sent his son to die for us, to pay the penalty so that we could be justified before him, so we could enter into communion with him, so we can come before him and we can be saved. That's the big idea. What's the implications? The implications are, I don't have to do it myself. It's been done. You don't have to do it yourself. It's been done. You don't have to count on your good works. You don't have to wonder if I've done enough. The implications are, it's been done. What's the personal response? The personal response is that we receive that gift. And we say, thank you, Lord, for taking my pain. Thank you, Lord, for taking the penalty. Thank you, Lord, for giving me new life in you. And it's that easy. Now, it might sound easy. It almost sounds free. It almost sounds too good to be true and not worth it. It's worth every drop of Christ's blood. Every drop of blood that he shed on that cross, it's worth it. Paul closes, though, this section a little later with this message of grace comes with a warning also. It's a warning. He says this grace is free. It's, it's, it's plenteous. So you're standing in it. But it can be abused. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We who live we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He says, if, you know, we, we don't just say, oh, God, God's grace is to cover my sins. And so we keep sinning. He said, that, would, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Why would you do that? You want to live for Christ. When, when Luther realized that he no longer had to follow the law, when Luther realized he no longer had to do all his good deeds, it freed him up. It freed him up to serve the Lord. It freed him from the guilt. It freed him from all the, 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 the hurts in his life. And he was able to serve the Lord with gladness. 
And he was able to serve him in love. And he says, I'm going to take advantage of this grace by serving God. He goes on in verse 14, and he says this, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, you're under grace. You're under grace. I remember it was December, I think, uh, 1989. December 1989, I was sitting in front of my TV, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was cold, and it had been snowy in the area, and it had also been snowing down in Cincinnati, Ohio. And there was a football game going on between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. The Browns were losing. <laughs> What's new, right? But something was happening, and the, and the fans got upset at the, at the, at the referees. And so the fans started, because of the snow, they started packing the snow. And they started pelting the field with snowballs. And the announcers was going, please stop, please stop, do not throw things on the field. And, and people were still throwing snowballs. And at that time, Sam Weish, the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, ran across the field, grabbed the stadium mic, and he said, stop it. He said, would anyone who sees the next person throwing snowballs tell him, or anything on the field, tell him to stop it and turn them in? Then he said this, you live in Cincinnati, you don't live in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we take that as an offense, don't we? Well, I can see Paul grabbing his microphone here and saying this, you don't live under the law. You live under grace. Live like it. Live like it. And so he says, take this grace that God has given you, this freedom to, to serve him, and live like it. Don't do what Philip Yancey calls the grace loophole and think because I'm receiving grace that I can just go out and sin. Paul says, no, nah, it makes no sense. Live like you're under grace. Live under like Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. Live like he's your Lord and Savior. Live like it. That's where, it, that's where the rubber meets the road in this doctrine. The doctrine of grace says Christ gave it to me freely. And it says I receive it and I become one of his and then I live like it. I live like it. That's the doctrine of grace. That's the doctrine of grace. There was a man, his name was, oh my goodness, John Newton. John Newton lived in England in the 1700s. John was uh, a young man, his, Growing up in his early years, he, he, he received the Lord. His mother was bringing him up and, and training him in the things of the Lord, but she died when he was about eight years old. And so he, he started to go with his father, and his father was a, was a, was a driver or, or a captain of, a, of, a, of ships, and he, would, he was involved in the shipping industry. And every now and then, as he grew up, he was able to go on these ships. So you can imagine he wasn't necessarily rubbing shoulders some of the most spiritual people in the world. And, and John became very sinful. In fact, in his own words, he says, I was exceedingly vile. I was a slave to wickedness. I delighted in sin. As he grew up, he became a very angry man at God. He hated God. And he tells about his work on ships and how he, how he would just do, live in sin, as he said. Till one day, and he hit bottom, and that's what happens. And he tells a story of his life, a lot like Pastor Eric told of the prodigal son last week. He said, I was the prodigal. He said, one day I, I was on shore, and I met some folks, and they told me about Christ again, reminded me, and, and I turned to him, and he changed my life. And he said, I became a Christian. He said, I accepted the grace that God gave me. 
he didn't live like it. In fact, for five years, he continued to be a captain of his ship, which was involved in the slave trade industry. In fact, at that point in time, they would go and they would get the, the men and they would throw them in the bottom of the boat. And at that point in his life, those five years that he was a Christian with still being captain of his boat, he would go and, and he would be in, in, his, in his room, in his, in, his, in his bunk there, and he would, he would read devotions. And then on Sundays, he would go on the deck and he would lead his worship service. And underneath, men were being beaten, prepared for slavery, and their many would die. And he would do that. And finally one day, writing later, he said, the Lord opened my eyes. And as he really, this came through a lot of the abolitionist movement in England at the time. They, they knew John had become a Christian. And so they were telling him, you can't do this. You got to live like it. You got you to you treat people and, and love them and care for them. You can't trade them and beat them. And he says, Looking back, I can't believe, I can't believe I was involved in that. He said, it was like, it was like I had my eyes blinded. As a pastor, he later wrote these words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found was blind, but now I see. God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing. Let him open your eyes to it this morning as we sing these words. Let's stand as we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But now I'm found was blind, but now I see was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears
How is amazing grace like that possible? The last couple verses of our scripture this morning, I think, explains it pretty well. It says this, Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace, folks. It's amazing grace. May you live this out. May it not just be a doctrine. May it not just be a theology. But may it be something we live out in our lives day by day, moment by moment, as you go this morning. If you have a, want to come pray, if you have a, a need to talk about grace, or you say, I've never experienced this, Pastor Eric and I are going to be up here and we'd be happy to talk with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mercy that's reached down to us. Your grace that not only was upon Christ, but Lord was poured out through Christ, through the sacrifice that he made. Lord, we're grateful this morning that we don't have to go out here and figure out what we got to do this week to earn salvation. But Lord, that we can go and we can know and we can have a confidence that your grace is sufficient. Your grace has accomplished what it needs to do. And that we can stand today in this grace. Help us to live it out. Help us to be your people wherever we go. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Go today and live in that grace, that amazing grace of Christ. You're dismissed.